Welcome to the Get Good at Presenting podcast with Lee Jackson. Welcome back to Get Good at Presenting. Today, uh, we're going to again address a little bit around the changes since the coronavirus crisis, but this was actually planned beforehand. And I'm really pleased to say that I've got my fellow speaker, Dominic Colenzo, here. Dominic has a very interesting background, which I would love. I'm not going to say any more. I want him to explain how did he become a speaker and presentation coach and what's his background. So Dominic, some people might know your name. Why is that? They may. I I think what you're referring to, Lee, is the fact that if you were to Google my name, you may not see me come up as a speaker first. You'll probably see me in a photo from a good few years ago now with very spiky blonde hair. (laughs) I played a a character called Virgil Tracy in the Thunderbirds remake in 2004 with Bill Paxton and Sir Ben Kingsley. So uh, I started my professional career as an actor and had this amazing moment very early on where I became a a little bit of a a movie star. I got to fly around the world and sign autographs and get chased by paparazzi and all of that sort of madness. And then quite organically over the period of another sort of five to 10 years, I moved away from acting into directing. So I was a theatre director down in London for, for a good few years. And while I was doing that, I got asked to teach in a couple of the big drama schools. So places like RADA, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, Drama Centre, where, where I studied. And while I was doing that, I then got asked if I'd start working with businesses on things like storytelling and, and presentation skills. And, and that's really where the kind of genesis for my speaking career began. It's fascinating. Definitely a unique story. I mean, yeah. not only because you're in a you know, a major film. Because I remember when it came out, I must admit, it was a big film. But then you kind of, I guess you you go, because what's always fascinated me, and I think I've mentioned this to you, Dominic, I have maybe had a little bit of a go at actors who do a lot of presentation skills on this program. (laughs) Because I guess I've seen some bad stuff over the years, you know. Yeah. Because for me, the fundamental issue, and it's what I'd love you to talk about a little bit, is an actor obviously has to do some interpretation, but you're basically you're basically saying other people's words. Right. And when you're presenting, you obviously need to present your own words. You don't want to be fully scripted. Yeah. What was it like transitioning from being given a script to actually speaking yourself and helping other people to be off the cuff or to be less scripted, you know? I think fundamentally there is a a toolkit that actors draw on, which is very similar to the toolkit that you know you or I or anyone else in in a business context would be drawing on when they're giving a presentation. So I think the underlying principles are there in terms of you know energy, the way that you engage your audience. I think the fundamental difference for me, and this is one of the reasons I think why I began to move away from acting is that I found the acting profession is quite sort of self-centered. You focus on yourself a lot. You're the one that's getting the jobs. You're playing the character. You know, you, you hear these horror stories, don't you, of these big Hollywood actors who go on these ego trips and stay in character for weeks and weeks on end. Whereas what I think is really important from a presentation perspective or a speaking perspective is it's not about you. It's all about your audience. And I think that's the big kind of fundamental shift. So it, it's getting the way that I work with the, the background that I have is getting people to understand that some of the, the kind of technique that actors use in terms of body language, in terms of voice is really useful. But then you have to be you and you have to be the best 
version of you and that requires you to get comfortable with being uncomfortable you know with speaking off the cuff and doing those things that maybe some of the kind of comedy improviser type actors do a lot better than your your standard theater actor or film or tv actor yeah you weren't at rada you were somewhere else is that right so i went to a place called drama center so tom hardy was in the in the year above me it was a very kind of method school all right, okay. Yeah, method acting, if I'm sure the listeners know, but if they don't, that's people who, yeah, they go into character for a month, don't they? And yeah, absolutely. There was, there was lots of very kind of broody people walking around the <laughs> corridor of my drama school. We were, we were only 90 people in a very small building in North London, so it was quite an intense place to be. Yeah, sounds like it. But obviously you did lots of techniques there, lots of breathing and improv and all the other stuff. So what techniques do you use now when you're working with businesses? What techniques did you use then that you use now? You, you must have ditched some stuff, but I guess you've brought some stuff from drama school and stuff. What yeah, absolutely. I think a big piece for me is is the kind of use of body. And it's not body language necessarily in the kind of typical way that I think sometimes yeah. soft skills, body language is taught. I'm not really meaning about how to read other people's body language. I'm, I'm talking about what you do with your own body to kind of get you into state. So I get people often to just think about how they're standing or their feet, you know, planted on the floor or even if they're sitting in a chair are they sitting upright are they taking up space because when we start to collapse and make ourselves smaller then then often our kind of confidence drains and there's some good neuroscience that that kind of backs all of this up now but that was just stuff that I was being taught as a as an actor and sort of took for granted and the other thing is around breath and voice the way that breathing calms your nerves actually when I went to drama school I used to get incredibly nervous over those first couple of years while I was going out and performing. I was the the person that, you know, went bright red from the neck up. You could feel the flush. You could fry right. eggs in my ears. <laughs> and it was those kind of breathing techniques of getting myself centered and, and starting to control the breath that really allowed me to have more confidence. So I quite often share those with people that find that they do get the butterflies in their stomach and they're, you know, they're, they're feeling a little bit shaky in those moments because those things really help me. I do often, quite often get asked about people flushing, you know, yeah. their neck going red and their face and people get, I've seen people in my courses get quite blotchy and stuff. Yeah. And they do. And eventually when they, they sort of trust you and they're with you for a few hours, they do start saying, why is that? You know, so if someone's listening to this and they do get red and blotchy, yeah, give them a little, some tips around that. Dominic. So I would really think about paying attention to your breath. So what, what is probably happening at that point is that you're having a bit of a kind of adrenal flush. Your adrenal glands are kind of kicking in and, and, and you're probably not breathing from the diaphragm. So you're probably breathing quite shallowly into the chest. The abdominals will probably be quite tight. So if you can just think about kind of relaxing the stomach, relaxing the abdominals and trying to get the breath down in the body, then you start to actually negate that kind of fight or flight response that that you're having. You know, if someone's having a panic attack, you actually say, you know, take a deep breath, just breathe. And in many respects, it's it's exactly the same. You're having in that scenario, a bit of a mild panic attack. And if you can start to control the breath, you'll find that a lot of those symptoms will start to dissipate and disappear. That's a great tip for people who are, you know, go red and flush them. I mean, I've seen people's, yeah, their, their whole head going red, you know, yeah. it, it does happen. That but was that's interesting. <laughs> when I was 18, that was me. <laughs> it's interesting you say about panic attacks because for some people doing a presentation is a panic attack that they can't escape from. 
because they have to be at the front of the room, you know, they're obviously flush. They're obviously nervous. You know, it's like, I can't run out the room. I have to stay here. Yeah. So that's the technique, isn't it? Of staying there through the anxiety as well. You know? Absolutely. And, you know, I think from a mindset perspective, forgive my theater analogies, but I, I think that often when we're in that position, when we're being asked to deliver a presentation or, or lead in a meeting, we assume that the kind of spotlight is on us. And if we're not careful, we're not really focused on the task at hand or, or the audience. We're just thinking about ourselves and, you know, thinking, oh, I'm shaking or, oh, I said that word wrong or, oh, they don't like this content. One of the most powerful things I think you can do is actually start to turn the spotlight around and put it on your audience. And if you're focusing on them and meeting their needs, then you can't be thinking about yourself at the same time. So I really encourage people to, you know, think about who's in the room, what value you're adding. Stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about how you serve. Yeah, that's so great. I've said that several times, I'm sure, on this, but because it isn't about us, it's about us controlling our anxiety so we can give and help the audience. That's what yeah. we're in this business for, is to help people, right? Yeah. You know, and we're just, you know, I think that's one of those interesting things. It's easy to watch a speaker up in up on stage and kind of put them on a pedestal. But, you know, most of us are just normal people <laughs> with with our own trials and tribulations. And I think, you know, my job as a speaker is to share my experience and try and draw out the, the lessons that I've learned in the hope that they will help other people. Yeah, that's great. So we've definitely in a new season right now with the virus. I'm still isolating here. I've got another week here. My wife went out today for the first time to uh, get some shopping and stuff. Very good. Because we haven't done that yet, you know, essentials. So we're staying within the government rules, Dominic. Good to hear. Yeah. But but yeah, so it's different for us. You know, I am already missing being in front of an audience. Yeah. And that's not for egotistical reasons. I just love my job, you know. Absolutely. I don't need the adulation. I just love doing my job. So You know, a lot of us are switching to presenting via Zoom or Skype or go to webinar or whatever technology is there. Now, you've made a little bit of a transition there. So t- yeah. tell us about some of your clients where you've transitioned to being online and, and maybe give us some tips around the technology and the differences between a real audience and a virtual audience. Yeah. I mean, it's been an interesting couple of weeks for me because we had in in the previous two weeks, we've had a lot of training and um, speeches booked in and they started to fall like dominoes. And a few of them a couple of weeks ago was sort of sticking in the diary and and I was thinking they're going to go, they're going to go. And eventually everything did. So I started to think about you know, the again, think about the audience and thinking, well, what were people struggling with right now? And I, it, became clear to me that most people had been thrust into this virtual world with very little idea of of how to cope with virtual meetings and all of those sorts of things. Yes, they've been around, but I I think most organizations have, have seen them as a kind of backup or as a kind of awkward necessity because people are in different time zones rather than actually thinking, you know what, there's an opportunity here, we can make the most of it. So I've spent the last couple of weeks really working with with our client base to deliver a lot of very short, high impact webinar type training on how to make the best out of virtual meetings, you know, how to make sure that people are getting their message across, how to 
stop spending so much time online and get things nice and time boxed and succinct so that we're not just wasting days on end looking at ourselves on camera so it's been it's been really interesting it's been fascinating to hear the the sorts of similarities between challenges so I've been Today, I've had a webinar with 150 people on. We had people over in America. We had people in India. We had Vienna. We had Dublin. We had Bratislava. There were a few Germans on the call. Yeah, and wherever people are in the world, they're facing these very similar challenges. You know, how do you get heard? How do you create engagement? How do you get away from that digital tumbleweed? So it's been good fun. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So I'm just trying to look at your setup now. This isn't obviously a video podcast, but I'll be able to share. Are you standing up now? I am, yeah. I'm, I'm at a standing desk. I won't move too far away from the mic, otherwise... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so is, is that deliberate that you, you choose to stand for even an online remote presentation? Yeah, I, for me, it's about energy. I, I'm, you know, I'm just understanding my own energy levels, and I know that if I sit down in a chair, then I'll tend to get a little bit kind of tired and, and sloppy. So I just challenge myself to stand up. The top tip that... I've had so much feedback on this one tip over the last 10 days and it it hurts me a little bit because with all of the knowledge and research that I've done, this seems to be the thing that people are taking away the most. If you don't have a standing desk, have a rummage around in your cupboard or in your spare bedroom somewhere, you will have an ironing board. Get your ironing board, get a box and put your laptop on the top of the box and you now have a standing desk. And that seems to be the thing that has blown people's minds (laughs) and has got people thinking differently about virtual meetings. So there's my top tip. There you go. So hopefully everyone's got an ironing board, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Except those weird weird hotel ones that are about about (laughs) six inches. (laughs) Don't use one of them. Yeah, that wouldn't quite work. But yeah, an ironing board with, with some boxes on it and... I was joking on the previous podcast with Alan, I think just, yeah, can people please elevate their laptops, honestly, Uh because I don't want to see like from underneath somebody, it's quite horrific. Up their nose. Yeah, up their nose and you're just like, whoa, no, no. So you want to be, you want to get your camera, your laptop eye level. Yeah. Or the camera people would actually say above eye level, actually, they were... It's always more flattering, I think, to have a camera slightly above you. Slightly, slightly down, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think as a, as a very kind of minimum, get it to eye level. So you're having that conversation with people. And what's interesting about the conversations that I've been having with people over the last 10 days is that for a lot of employees, that doesn't even cross their mind. I mean, for, for us professional speakers, we're much more aware of the sort of setup that we create, the microphones that we have, the lighting and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. But for, for Joe Blogs at home, it's, it's not something that they really think about. The feedback that I've had is that when people do make that change, they really see a difference in the level of engagement that they're getting from their team members. It works. That's great. Yeah, because it's engagement really, isn't it? I mean, I think we've come a long way in the kind of remote speaking webinar situation. I remember years ago, a friend of mine was a, quite a senior in a bank, but he used to work from home a lot. So I went around, I've been around to see him. We'd had a coffee together. He had his mobile phone in his hand, one of those little flip phones. Yeah. And he had a headset and he was on a webinar the whole time he was talking to me. And about every 10 minutes, he just used to go, yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> And then he would just continue talking to me. So, you know, the web, sometimes those 
kind of conference call webinar things, they were, they were absolutely terrible in the back in the day. Outrageous. <laughs> so, so it's just a waste of everyone's time because no one was listening. So, you know, I've talked, we talked with Alan Stevens on a previous episode about, you know, speak for 10 or 15 minutes and then have some kind of interaction. Interaction. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing a lot of that. Lots of, lots of Q and a either with smaller groups, I'm muting people's mics and actually just getting them to, to talk to you. But for larger groups using you know, using the chat functions, but this is something that I've been talking to people about in, in meeting scenarios as well. Even if you're having a team meeting, I suggest you have the chat function open down the side so that you can be dropping in your comments and, and questions while someone's giving that presentation. And then you've got a kind of, agenda if you like on what you need yeah. to pick up on afterwards that's great so apart from the technical stuff which i think you've said you've used your own technology and you've used companies corporate technology yeah there's a lot of rooms will have that a lot of people will have you know microsoft teams or go to webinar or whatever but so, so moving away from the technology because the problem is that we could spend four hours now talking about the minutiae of yeah, geeking out <laughs> yeah, muting microphones on different platforms but just give us maybe a few tips on the actual presenting when you're presenting remotely what tips yeah. are you giving dominic on that well from an acting background one of the the kind of key things for me is about your energy levels on camera so the camera actually sucks a little bit of energy out of your performance and that means that if you really want to engage people, you've got to work that little bit harder. I would encourage you to think about turning your kind of volume up about 15 to 20%, to be honest. I don't mean the, the, you know, the volume of the audio. I mean yeah, how much energy you yeah. bring <laughs> to the situation. I talk about it, I call it level eight energy. So if you imagine level one is, I've got coronavirus, I'm, I'm in bed, I'm recovering. Level 10 is two cans of Red Bull, packet of m and you're kind of bouncing around the room <laughs> level eight is that kind of slightly elevated slightly focused performance that's going to bring people in rather than what i think most people do especially if they've been sitting on their backside for six or seven hours and and they're joining a team meeting and they've got to present is that they're more kind of you know at that kind of level five high everyone so yeah. we've got to go through this, that and the other. And it, it just doesn't carry through the camera in the same way. So you really need to think about upping your energy yeah. level. Yeah, I think what we, I mean, the funny thing about presentation skills is we do all talk about the same stuff. Of we course, just yeah. have different names, right? Yes, yeah, so I call it 125%. There you go. Yeah, 100% yourself, 25% extra. So yeah. yeah, so first of all, it's getting that energy level. And then, and then what, about, what about when you're teaching people to prepare or plan? You know, how prescriptive are you? regards the script the content you know do you give them any tips around that yeah so I, I like to get people thinking like improvisation actors so yeah. rather than having the script that you learn you have the framework that you work within and the reason for that is that as someone who is a professional actor the number one question that people always used to ask is how do you learn the lines and the answer is by spending a lot of time working on learning the lines, repeating them over and over and over and over again. And of course, in a presentation context, A, you haven't got often the time to practice and practice and practice until you remember. 
but also you probably don't have the skill to make it look like you're saying those words for the first time because that's the actor's job it's to take the script and deliver it night after night after night but with the audience believing that that's the first time those words have come out of your mouth so I think that's a a kind of really bad cul-de-sac to go down in terms of presentations I, I think it's much better to think about having a framework knowing which points you're going to move through but then allowing yourself some sort of flexibility in the middle so that you can kind of go off piste and then come back to where you you need to be so I I share a lot of you know content frameworks and and ideas about chunking and, and using those principles to build a script but a script that you can move through rather than you that you have to stick to yeah is it true is it true that actors learn a script in such a way that they quite instantly forget them it's fascinating how it does tend to go into a a sort of strange short-term memory part of the brain yeah i mean although every now and again you you'll drag back a line that you said (laughs) (laughs) nearly 20 years ago now and it will just sort of pop up but yeah you you'll find that if you've done a sort of three or four months run of a play, for example, you take two weeks off and you'll, you'll really struggle to remember what you were saying. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. So different parts of the brain, different parts of storage, you know, short term, medium and long term storage is the brain is still, still being worked out. It's a fascinating creation. really. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. So that's good. So we have some preparation to have a bit more energy for the interaction when people are speaking remotely what interactions do you encourage? Obviously, there's a question box, but is anything more than that? Do you hand, would you encourage people to hand over to other people? or Because, you know, the equivalent with a live audience is passing the microphone around, yeah. which can be amazing or can kill the atmosphere yeah. stone yeah. dead. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, how do you navigate that a bit, Dominic? Again, in that context, you've got to know who your audience are. So you need to do the homework. You, you've got to get a sense for also how experienced you are at dealing with those different situations. So you, you don't want to put yourself in a scenario, especially if it's a paid engagement where you, you know, you, you do let things become a little bit of a car crash. So it's sort of control the controllables as much as you possibly can. I think in small groups, then you know, opening up the microphone and allowing other people to, to speak works well in those more kind of training type scenarios, obviously, Platforms like Zoom have breakout rooms, which are great just to sort of send people away and get them talking. And even for team meetings, I think that's a great tool just to get people off and, and then bring them back. I think it's all about how you how you frame things and the expectations that you set out at the beginning. If you suddenly surprise your audience that you want participation sort of half an hour into your presentation, you're yeah. unlikely to get it. Whereas if you tell them, right at the outset that this is coming and that you're going to be doing these sorts of things, you're, you're more likely to have someone kind of join in. But I, I do think you need to get more used to what I call digital tumbleweed. So in a kind of a live scenario, for whatever reason, that audience participation seems, in my experience, to come a bit quicker so you ask a question and you'll get someone, you know, eventually putting their hand up or, or you, you ask people to do an exercise and, and they'll generally kind of comply and do that. But in the virtual space, there seems to be that kind of lag 
<laughs> while people kind of work it out and sort of go, is he really serious? Does he really want me to ask a question? And, and I think, you know, you have to be confident to ride out that, that kind of tumbleweed. I always have two glasses of water with me, one on each side, just so that I can, you know, I can take a sip and just allow people to put their questions in the in the questions box or you know think of what they're going to ask without it looking like I'm standing there begging them to come back to me right so you have two glasses of water yeah. one one yeah, for- absolutely <laughs> <laughs> there you go there's a new one on me that's good that's great it's been really helpful stuff dominic and tell us how people can find out a bit more about you and your business and that kind of thing Absolutely. So if you want to find out more about me as a speaker, then head over to www.dominiccalenzo.com. If you want to find out about the the training side of the things that we do, we are www.inflow.global. I'm on Twitter as at Dominic Calenzo. I'm on LinkedIn as Dominic Calenzo as well. So it'd be lovely to connect. I've also got a book called Impact, uh, How to Be More Confident, Increase Your Influence and Know What to Say Under Pressure. That's out on Amazon, on Kindle, on paperback. And any minute now, Amazon permitting, will be out on Audible with me reading it as well. So you can grab that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I've just been on Audible myself recently. So it's, it's, a, it's a real process, actually. It takes, it's a real pain, isn't it? Yeah, it was due, it should have gone through quality control in the last sort of five days. But obviously, this whole coronavirus has slowed it down. So we're waiting. I think so, yeah. Oh, that'll be great. I'm glad it's on audiobook. I'm looking forward to, yeah, I think it's definitely an audiobook I will listen to, stuff like that. So it's great. So I'll put those details in the show notes so people can click on those, Dominic. Real pleasure just getting some more information from you. Sorry for winding you up about being an actor. That's all right. <laughs> it's all in good fun. So, so Dominic's part of the uh, Professional Speaking Association in Yorkshire. So we've met each other a few times. I've seen him speak once now, I think. So yes, I hope Dominic, I get to work with you in the future. It'd be nice to work together sometime, and that'd be great. Do that, yeah, it'd be great. So thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Take care. Cheers now. Thanks for listening to the Get Good at Presenting podcast with your host Lee Jackson. If you'd like to know more about Lee's work as a motivational keynote speaker and presentation coach, visit his website at leejackson.biz. That's Lee Jackson dot B-I-Z.